the National Archives podcast series. This talk is called Torn From Home by the Holocaust survivor John Dubai. It was recorded on the 25th of January 2019 at the National Archives queue. I'd like to introduce today's event with a short introduction from the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust. We're probably all aware that Holocaust Memorial Day is on Sunday. The Trust encourages remembrance in a world scarred by genocide. The day itself is commemorated internationally on the 27th of January to remember the six million Jews murdered during the Holocaust and the millions of people killed under Nazi persecution and in subsequent genocides in Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia and Darfur. It is a day when we consider those who endured genocide and honour the survivors and all those whose lives were changed beyond recognition. With that day approaching, it is fitting for the National Archives to welcome John Dubai, a renowned survivor speaker who has devoted so much of his life to educating a wide variety of audiences. The late eminent historian Professor David Cesarani described the fate of Hungarian Jewry as one of the most dramatic, tragic and controversial episodes in the fate of the Jews and the Second World War. John's testimony greatly contributes to the learning and understanding of the events of the Holocaust and in particular the persecution of Hungarian Jews. I have heard John speak before. Many of our documents here at the National Archives support his narrative. Telegrams informing the Foreign Office of deportations, Churchill's responses to the massacres and vivid descriptions of the horrors are all to be found in our collections. Hidden stories of that terrible past are still emerging from our files. But today we are so fortunate that we cannot only see the documentary evidence, but more importantly on this occasion, listen to a unique oral testimony. I'd like to introduce John by beginning with a quote he's asked me to read out from Hannah Arden. We can reach an understanding of the past only if we can tell of the events again and again. Thank you, John. Thank you very much for coming, and uh, especially with so many friends uh, among you. I will be talking for a, uh, under an hour, and the talk is divided into four parts. In the first part, I will tell you about the life of uh, my family and I, and uh, the before the Second World War. And then there will be a short in, uh, oversight of Hungarian history insofar as it affected us. And then I will tell you uh, what happened to us in the, during the years of the Holocaust. And then finally, I will try to tell you why I'm doing this. This is a talk that was developed for uh, senior school children and university students, as well as some uh, ad adult audiences. So I was uh, born in 1934 in Budapest, um, the capital of Hungary. And uh, in the Hungarian language, we put uh, the surname first and other names after. So when I go to Hungary, which I do from time to time, I'm called Dobai Janos, 
and uh, here I'm John Bureau. So for, uh, for those um, people whose geography might be a bit rusty, uh, uh, that's where Hungary is, right in the middle of continental Europe, and it's about 1,600 kilometers or 1,000 miles from here. And uh, to show you how it relates to the countries around it, to the south are the uh, countries that formerly form part of Yugoslavia, that is Slovenia, uh, Croatia, and Serbia. And to the southeast is Romania. And to the northeast is Ukraine, which was previously called uh, Russia. And before that, it was, it was uh, the Soviet Union. And before that, it was still Russia. And to the north is uh, Slovakia, which was part of Czechoslovakia before they split into two. And to the west, you see uh, Austria, and there's the Blue Danube coming through uh, Vienna and Bratislava, and then it forms uh, the frontier between uh, Hungary and Slovakia, and then it turns uh, around the Danube bend, comes through Budapest, uh, goes south, exits Hungary, and goes uh, towards the Black Sea. And uh, um, here I am in, with, with my mother in the backyard of uh, our house. And uh, it, it was a flat in a larger house. And uh, Budapest is formed in, uh, of two towns, really, Buda, which is the western side, which is hilly and uh, wooded, and Pest, which is totally flat. And the Western Buddha side has got a number of historic buildings, and museums, it had the royal palace in, and, and the Pest side is the commercial uh, center, uh, manufacturing center. And we were fortunate enough to li live on the Buddha side, about two or three hundred meters above the river, uh, level of the river, which was a nice place for a young person to grow up. And, uh, in, in those days, um, uh, pediatrics was uh, quite a new science, and uh, my parents were told that the baby must spend an hour a day out of doors. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this was the um, this is the building where we lived on the ground floor. It was a it was uh, a three-roomed uh, flat. And uh, my father was a very good sportsman, uh, and, um, um, and here he, he we are on the shores of the lake Balaton, which is a, a, a long, very narrow lake. Uh, so my father uh, played uh, football for a second division team as an amateur. He had a trial for the Olympic Games in athletics. He played uh, tennis in the... In the Davis Cup, so our life was very much dedicated to uh, open air activities. Um, and this, this lake is about uh, an hour and a uh, half by train from Budapest, so the, the mothers um, who could afford it would spend the summer with their children by this lake, and the fathers would come down at weekend. So um, this this was very much 
how, how, how we live. And here we are on the terrace of a rowing club and we are about to go on a weekend uh, on, the, on the Danube. And you could sleep in uh, haylofts or inns. And uh, if um, the, the, the winter was uh, good in terms of snow, then we could uh, go skiing for several weeks at a time. And as you see, in that particular year, it was, uh, it was a good snowy winter. So we, we went hiking and swimming and skiing. And in addition, of course, we saw um, a family who lived in Budapest and, uh, and friends. I, uh, my parents found a place for me in a kindergarten, so I made friends with, uh, with that. And the big change, of course, came uh, when we first went to school. Um, and uh, this is the school building as it is today, but uh, it, it was identical at the time. And this, at the time, uh, this was a co-educational school, but boys and girls were in separate classrooms. And, and this is a picture of the class. Uh, the lady with the hat is the class teacher, the rather severe looking man on the other side is the headmaster, and the man in between is the man who taught us about religion. So I need to say a few words as to why I'm here to talk about the Holocaust, and yet this is obviously a Roman Catholic picture, uh, a picture of a Roman Catholic class. This picture was taken after a ceremony uh, of the First Communion, uh, and these white outfits were hired for the occasion, and the bishop was there, and then and so on. Now, about four, uh, four out of ten of these boys come from Jewish families. So, how did this come about? It's a question of dates. We were born in the last quarter of uh, 1933 and the first quarter of 1934. Almost exactly 12 months after Hitler came to power in Germany. And uh, Hitler uh, declared in his uh, book, Mein Kampf in, in the 20s, that when he comes to power, he will uh, uh, make sure that Germany will be great again, not an, un un not an unknown phrase in another context, uh, that the blame for Germany being defeated in the First World War is not the fault of the uh, it's not due to the superior armed forces of France and the United States and Great Britain and Russia. It, it, uh, the German civilian population sabotaged the German army and this conspiracy was led by Jews. And this uh, shifting the blame onto Jews was quite welcome 
among many challenges because it absolved them from any um, responsibility. Now, uh, Germany was the largest and most powerful country and it was quite clear that the um, influence of Germany uh, was going to spread all over Europe, which of course it did. I mean, the, the, in this country we had the British Union of Fascists, we had right-wing uh, parties in, uh, in France, and Italy of course had the fascists, and, and, and Hungarian uh, uh, anti-Semitic movements were also very strong. So what, what happened was that the, our parents uh, decided that they should do everything they can to minimize any effect the Nazis may have. And they thought, if we uh, become Roman Catholics, uh, that might be very helpful. So they went down, not, not in an organized fashion, they went down to the local parish church and asked uh, the uh, priests there if they could uh, become Catholics, and which, uh, which, uh, which happened. And now, some of you who are believers in religion might find it uh, strange that we change, uh, that um, this change of religion, but uh, our parents' generation were not believers. They were not believers in Judaism or any other religion. So it was not a, a great problem to uh, become Roman Catholic. And it they felt that at least they did something that might uh, um, help to minimize the effect of Nazism. Uh, I, I will anticipate the story by saying this hope was actually uh, not realized. So now a bit of history. Before the um, uh, First World War, Hungary, which is the green area, was also uh, uh, responsible for the administration of the red area, that is part of uh, Croatia and Serbia and Romania and so on. And Hungary, of course, took part um, in the First World War on, on, on uh, as a partner of, of Germany. And my father fought on the Eastern Front up in Ukraine. Uh, two of my uncles were fought fighting against the um, uh, Italians here, and another uncle served in Romania. But of course, uh, Hungary, uh, <coughs> along with uh, uh, Austria and Germany, lost uh, in, this, uh, in the First World War. And at the peace conference led, um, led by the American President Woodrow Wilson, the, the word was self-determination. So the Allies decided to detach large areas from Hungary and form particularly two new countries, that is Czechoslovakia 
uh, in the north and Yugoslavia in the south. Because the Czechs and the Slovaks and the, and the Serbs, Croatians, they all wanted uh, not to be under Hungarian rule, but to form their own countries. Unfortunately, the Allies, uh, of course they were tired of the war, the huge losses, they didn't have enormous patience at the peace conference. Uh, so they drew up the new frontiers rather quickly. And this meant that these red areas, there were, these were areas where a large number of ethnic Hungarians lived. About 300,000 lived down here, about one and a half million uh, in Romania, about 300,000 uh, in what is now Ukraine, and about 300,000 in uh, what, is, what is now Slovakia. And this uh, edict of the new countries was a huge tragedy for Hungary. And uh, Hungary had to find a new direction after the war, and the Hungarians decided that they will try and find partners who will help them to recover those territories. They tried to form an alliance with Poland, they looked, uh, talked to the Italians, but uh, essentially they were started drifting more and more towards Germany, because especially as Hitler, uh, the National Socialists, uh, came in, uh, became stronger and stronger, they said, if you support us, then we will try and help you to recover those territories. So these, uh, these, those areas, even today, contain people whose mother tongue is Hungarian, uh, but of course they would speak Romanian or Serb or Slovak, uh, and whose culture is Hungarian. And uh, so there are still tensions due to that decision after the First World War. Now I'd like to turn to the position of Jews in, in Hungary. There's clear evidence that the Jews arrived in the, in the uh, Carpathian Basin with the Romans. Uh, there are Jewish gravestones um, alongside uh, uh, Roman ones. And uh, the fate of the Jews was very similar to the fate of the Jews in the whole of Western Europe. They were regarded as somewhat separate, and they were welcomed into society uh, when things were good, and their expertise in various fields was also very welcome. However, when times were hard and there was a drought or a, 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 the plague or other misfortune, it was convenient to blame it on the Jews. And just the same way as Jews were expelled from York or Lincoln and other towns, they were expelled from the major towns of, of Hungary too. But things changed in the last quarter <coughs> 
of the 19th century. A huge wave of uh, equality swept through Europe, and in 1876, there was an agreement between Hungary and Austria that the Hungarians would be much more uh, in charge of their own affairs, and in addition, full civic rights were granted uh, to are Jews as well. And Jews could, and the, so the golden age of Jews in, in Hungary was really between 1876 and 1918, when they were encouraged to participate in every aspect of Hungarian life, in science and art and music, uh, and, and they built up factories and industries uh, and so on. And also, Hungarians, um, the Jews, put in a lot of effort into educating their young people to the maximum. And this is the result of that. This is from uh, 1930. And this first word here is doctor. Now, uh, the, the, there are 5% of the population is, uh, comes from uh, Jewish families. <coughs> Jewish both in, this, in the religious sense and in the uh, racial sense. So 5%. And yet, uh, it says doctor, 55% of doctors came from Jewish families. And 50% lawyers, 30% uh, engineers, 46% 40, of merchants, people doing other commercial work, 75%. Uh, accountants, 60%, bank workers, 60%, civil servants, 19%, and so on. In other words, that the proportion of um, Jews in these uh, professions and occupations was in much, many times higher than arithmetic would dictate. And uh, just like uh, the situation with immigration in this country, the greatest concentration was, was in Budapest, where up, uh, around 20% of the population um, what, uh, was Jewish. So this meant that uh, the, the Jews, in the broader sense, formed essentially the middle class. And this, fed, uh, this led to some jealousy, which fed on the underlying anti-Semitism, and uh, um, anti-Semitism therefore increased. And I'm sorry to say that uh, Hungary was the first European country to introduce an anti-Semitic law, but in 1920 the government decided uh, that the, the entrance to university from Jewish families had to be li limited to 5%, just the same way as the general population contained 5% of Jews. And uh, that occurred in 1920. And this caused enormous uh, alarm among the Jewish population and a huge emigration of young people uh, to the West. And uh, we had the arrival in the West of people like Edward Teller, who later on worked on the uh, 
and, and uh, John Neumann, who, uh, two of them worked on the uh, Manhattan Project, the development of the uh, nuclear bomb in the States. And uh, George Schulte arrived here, and Michael Polanyi, who was a mathematician in Manchester. And writers, and uh, the Corder brothers came out, uh, who, who went, uh, who did a lot for the English uh, <laughs> film industry. So, uh, and my, uh, I had two uncles and an aunt who could not get into university uh, because they were judged to be Jewish. And they had to actually go to Austria and even to Germany to finish their university studies. Later on, there were other anti-Semitic laws, but we'll come to that later. So, in 1939, of course, the first, uh, Second World War breaks out. And, and, but uh, even before that, uh, of course, Hitler uh, dismembers um, Czechoslovakia, and he says to the Hungarians, if you attack uh, Czechoslovakia from the south to a limited extent, I'll give you back uh, part of the territory that you lost, and the Hungarians enthusiastically uh, took part in the invasion of, um, of uh, Czechoslovakia. And around the same time, Hitler lent on the Romanians to give back part of Transylvania to Hungary. So, but in uh, 1939, the German army uh, invades Poland. And at the same time, uh, the Red Army, the Russian army, invades Poland from the east. And as the two armies come together, there's a flood of refugees coming through Hungary trying to escape. <coughs> many, many of them are Orthodox Jews and trying to flee towards Palestine. And on the one hand, uh, Hungarian Jews did their best to assist these refugees on the way, but on the other hand, they said, this is not going to ha happen to us because we are Western uh, Jews, we are, and they are fully integrated into Hungarian society. Uh, there was a saying uh, among the Hungarian Jews that we are more Hungarian than the Hungarians. So they were not Jews who lived in Hungary, but they were Hungarians through and through uh, who took part in uh, wars and they paid their taxes and they uh, made industries and commerce flourish. They felt thoroughly um, Hungarian. So they said, this is not uh, the fate of the uh, Polish Jews was not, not going to happen to them, how, how wrong they were. So uh, initially, uh, Hungary does not uh, take part in the, First World, in the Second World War on the side of Germany, and, uh, but three lots of anti-Semitic laws are, are uh, pressure is put on by Germans to introduce these three lots of laws. The first one, um, 
the, um, ensures that uh, higher uh, echelons of universities and uh, academia are uh, cleansed of, of Jews. And the second one actually reproduces the Nuremberg Laws, which defines who is a Jew. So in our family, uh, we all are, all my grandparents were Jews, and therefore that was not a problem. But in other cases where uh, there was a, in a marriage, one, one, part, uh, one part was Jew, uh, Jewish and the other one was not, what happens to the children? How do you define it? That was uh, uh, legally defined. And the third, uh, Jewish law actually deprived Jews of their places of work, their jobs, uh, and uh, it caused enormous distress as well as um, issuing Jews uh, with uh, identity cards which define, uh, in other words, uh, there was a front which gave the name and address and the usual things, but behind it was a large letter, ZS, which, which was the first letter of the word for Jew. So if you showed your identity card, you, the person seeing it could identify you as a Jew. So, um, the war uh, st starts and Hungary is neutral, but in 19, uh, spring of 1941, Hitler again says to the Hungarians, I have to come through Hungary to destroy Yugoslavia. Will you please join with me in uh, invading Yugoslavia and I'll give you back the part of Serbia where uh, a lot of Hungarians live. And once again, the Hungarians join in with enthusiasm in that invasion. And on, in, uh, Hitler decides to invade the Soviet Union. And uh, on the 21st of June 1941, he, he invades. And a few weeks later, a frontier incident is engineered uh, which forces Hungary to join in the Second World War on the side of Germ Germany. And uh, um, the Germans uh, ask uh, Hungarians, uh, they, they don't join in the fighting, but uh, the Germans ask or demand that Hungary provides support uh, people uh, behind the lines. And Jewish men are called up uh, to take part in, uh, in forced labor. My father, who was fought in the First World War and was still in the reserves, is called up initially to go back as, as a soldier, but a few weeks later, Parliament passes a law saying uh, Jews can't be in the army. So he's released, but then called up again as, as, a, as a Jew. He was 
very fortunate because he was very fit. Uh, the physical labor didn't, uh, wasn't very hard. And also he was looked after by the uh, Hungarian army and uh, he was relatively well fed and not mistreated. But thousands and thousands of Jewish men were sent behind the German lines, near the front, were, among other things, carried barbed wire without any, anything, uh, any protection. But the worst thing was that they were lined up in ploughed fields and driven across these ploughed fields so that their footsteps would explode landmines. And over 50,000 Jewish men died that way. Uh, and of course, initially, the, the advance of the German army seemed irresistible. Within a short time, they were at the gates of Leningrad and Moscow and Stalingrad and Odessa, and they were in the Crimea. And it looked uh, no, that no, uh, no force could resist them. But uh, the Russians reorganized uh, themselves and finally uh, beat the Germans at the famous Battle of Stalingrad, which was a turning point of the war in the East. And the, the Red Army started very slowly to push the German army back. And uh, the situation looked so serious for the uh, Germans that the Germans called on their three allies, the Romanians, Italians and the Hungarians to provide armies. And the Hungarians sent an army of 200,000 people. Uh, and these, uh, this army was not very well trained or equipped. And the Russians recognized this military weakness and in a three-week battle really destroyed the Hungarian army, because it was a weak point in the, in the, in the front. And out of the uh, 200,000, 120,000 were killed, injured, or taken prisoner. And suddenly, <coughs> Hungary lost its appetite for the war. And as uh, the archives documents show, uh, uh, the Hungarian government sent out Diplomat, uh, secret uh, emiss emissaries, emissaries? Yeah. Um, to try and negotiate a separate peace. But the German intelligence uh, got wind of this, and on the 19th of March 1944, they occupied Hungary. And within two days, a small group of 150 men arrived in, in Hungary, led by a man called Adolf Eichmann, who was the highest uh, place official, uh, tasked with carrying out the final solution. That is the destruction of the Jewish population of the whole of uh, Europe. And by the time he arrived, he had dealt with the Jewish po pop uh, population of 
Poland, which had, of course, the largest number of, lar largest proportion of Jews, Czechoslovakia, Austria, Germany, Holland, Belgium, uh, part of France, and, uh, and uh, um, Yugoslavia and Greece. So he had a well-worked-out plan of how to go about things. And a whole host of... Uh, Laws were published. One of, one of the first was the law to say that um, everyone over the age of eight should wear the Star of David. And um, this picture was actually taken by a Soviet cameraman after the end of the war, but I use it because I'd like uh, audiences to see what it was like to have to wear this. And, uh, I had to wear one, of course, and you couldn't carry a newspaper, it had to be visible. And if you walked along a pavement uh, and somebody not wearing a star came towards you, then the Jew had to get into the gutter because the law said that we were not fit to share a pavement with non-Jews. Now this was during a school holiday. And um, I was sent to the shops uh, to buy something for my mother. And um, I met a, a boy in my class. And I said that I was rather looking forward to going back to school. And he said that um, he was going to go back to school, but I was, I was not. Because his father tells him, that I am a dirty, stinking Jew. Well, I, I, I protested that uh, I was Roman Catholic, but he repeated that you're a dirty, stinking Jew. And I, I ran home. Uh, my mother had to tell me that, yes, we are, a, we are a Jewish family. Now, my mother didn't tell me because she wanted to s spare me the pain because the anti-Semitic propaganda was so strong that my friends and I, we were anti-Semitic. Because there were pictures of, there were pictures of, uh, of um, Jews uh, hugging bags of gold and dripping with blood and, and so on. So we, uh, could not imagine it, 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 the the, the we were displaced from our normal life and and become total outcasts. So it was a huge blow, and certainly the most uh, uh, the worst day of my life at that point. So uh, then uh, another set of anti-Semitic laws are published in which uh, Jews are told to hand in the motor cars, not that there were many, uh, hand over their bank accounts, their jewelry, 
carp uh, carpets of value, pictures, and so on, cameras, radios. So everything was done to uh, destroy the self-respect. And all this, of course, at a time when my father was uh, 250 kilometers away. And the, and the next uh, stage is uh, when the deportations start. And this is a picture of the Jews uh, who are told to report to a railway station with one a piece of uh, large luggage which is loaded onto uh, that lorry. And as you see, there are no uh, working age men because they're all in forced labor camps. So they are women, children, and old people. And when this lorry is fully loaded, it goes never to be seen again. And when the when the administration is complete, all these people are loaded into a cattle car. And uh, the, here, these are small cattle cars. We would form the loads for two uh, cattle cars. And I had, uh, I had family here, down here, and my cousin and her mother are loaded onto a car, into a goods wagon, and they go along here, uh, and they go through Kosice uh, there, and they go up to Krakow, and 50 kilometers um, west of Krakow, the site of Auschwitz. And they went uh, three days and three nights without water or access to sanitation, or any food. Uh, on arrival, um, both my aunt and uh, my cousin were judged to be uh, fit for work, and uh, they were together. Uh, but uh, a week later, my aunt fell over and hurt her leg, and uh, the injury turned uh, 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 septic and she was sent to the gas chamber. But my cousin survived Auschwitz and the famous, uh, notorious uh, winter march. And this is the list of the trains that went from Hungary or Hungarian-controlled territory to Auschwitz. So 137 trains carrying over 430,000 Hungarian uh, men, women, and children went to Auschwitz. Very few of them came back. And to give you an idea of one day, on the 19th of May, 1944, uh, Train number 16, sorry, 16, 17, 18, 19. That is four trains went in one day uh, to Auschwitz carrying 
nearly 13,000 people. And this was between uh, April and uh, end of July 1944. Now, my mother uh, was corresponding with her family who lived outside uh, Budapest, and that these deportations only affected the countryside at this stage. And when the, there were no replies to her letters, she knew there was something wrong. So she got uh, some false papers and they took off the yellow star and through the agency of some uh, organization, she placed me with a, a peasant family in the countryside. And this was, uh, and because she felt that uh, my, my, her, my father and she are going to be murdered, and at least my life should be saved. Uh, so we s said goodbye to each other, and I stayed there for uh, 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 around uh, two months. And of course, it was a better life in the countryside. There was more food and, uh, and uh, no bombing. While in, um, I forgot to mention that before I was taken to the countryside, we were told to leave our flat and move into a larger house, which had big yellow stars. This is to collect the Jews into a controllable area prior to a deportation. So I was in the countryside. I was the Royal Air Force was bombing Hungary, so it was no bombing in the countryside. There's a bit more food. And um, I was looking after the pigs, mostly. Uh, Unfortunately, I developed a, a rash, and the woman thought that I had uh, ty typhoid fever, and uh, I was sent back to uh, Budapest to be with my mother. And my mother again made another attempt to save, save my life as she saw it, and found a place for me in a children's home. And I became quite ill, and uh, I then sent back to my mother. A few days later, the children's home was emptied and uh, Germans and, and Hungarians uh, shot all the children. All this time, the, the front was getting further to the west. And the fighting reached the Hungarian frontier, and it became clear to most people that the war was going to end in the defeat of, of, of Germany and its allies. And uh, so the camp where my father was, was dissolved. The commander said, I can't feed you, I can't look after you, so do what you, do, do what you want. And so my father started walking back towards uh, 
Budapest. And he walked, uh, and I think he may have got a train from time to time, short distances. And we were formed up in front of the house and carrying only what, what we could. And the people were watching uh, us. And the majority of the spectators uh, were really indifferent. They said if the authorities are uh, decided that this is the right thing, it's none of our business. There was a, a proportion who were rejoicing because they could take over uh, Jewish property and uh, flats and shops and so on. But there's also a proportion who were crying because they were our friends and neighbors. I don't want to give you the impression that all Hungarians were anti-Semitic. Hundreds, thousands of children were hidden to save them from deportation. So in some cases, whole families were hidden by non-Jews. But we were told to uh, go, go down to, towards the town, towards the railway station from which we would be uh, deported somewhere. And on the way, some administrative hitch uh, came about and uh, we were put into a, a block, of, block of flats. And in this block of flats, there were about 20 to 25 uh, people uh, occupying a sort of average size bedroom. And the um, flat had no uh, electricity or gas. And uh, my mother being an organizer, uh, organized a campfire where some soup could be um, um, cooked. And one day, um, uh, one day, some gendarmes came and they took the women away, and I saw my mother being taken away like this. And fortunately, they were only made to scrub the floors in a barracks, and she came back. But many old people in this block of flats were um, so distressed, they climbed up to the top floor, and they jumped off. As the fighting reached uh, Hungarian soil, the government decided to uh, really um, surrender. And the head of the state broadcast um, saying that we are surrendering. But again, the Germans were aware of this plan and arrested the head of state and handed the power over to the Nazi party of, uh, of um, Hungary. And they were really, they were a sort of rabble. Uh, uh, simple people who would do exactly as the authorities wanted. And these were 
quite determined to take uh, action against the Jews. And uh, when, my, of course, there was great rejoicing when my father arrives. And immediately he's, he's heard rumors. So, and these rumors were centered around this man. And this man is called, what's called Rao Wallenberg. And the Wallenberg family are one of the um, wealthiest, or what were and still are, one of the wealthiest and most powerful families of Sweden. And Raoul Wallenberg, who uh, traveled around uh, Europe on behalf of the family business, heard of the plight of, uh, uh, of the Jews, and he volunteered to come to Hungary to try and do what he can. And he, ar he arrived aged uh, 26, and immediately set about threatening Hungarian and German officers, saying, I will, I will make a note of your name and you will be prosecuted as a war criminal. He, he bribed people and, uh, and, he, and he, he started giving out passports, uh, first similar passports to what you and I have, and, but later on, he handed out these protective papers, which says in a couple of languages that uh, the person described is under the protection of the uh, Swedish uh, government. And he would go down to um, railway stations as people were deported and hand in the handout blank forms saying, fill it in now, and once you've filled it in, you're under my protection. So Raoul Wallenberg is um, credited with saving of, of, of um, around uh, 25,000 people. And uh, another man whose was history ignored him for a while was called Karl Lutz, a Swedish, uh, uh, sorry, a Swiss diplomat, who saved another 15,000. So my father managed to get three of these papers and also a piece of paper to entitle us to have a space in a house that the Swedish uh, government had bought. Uh, it should be said that a number of other embassies bought houses, such as neutral countries like Spain and Portugal, uh, and even um, uh, towards the end of the war, the Vatican bought uh, a house or two. So we set out from that house on the banks of Danube across the town with great trepidation to find space in that um, uh, Swedish house, which had a big, yellow, uh, a big Swedish flag outside and a declaration that this is Swedish territory and is not to be disturbed. By, by the time we arrived, uh, oh, practically all the uh, inhabitants were living in the air raid shelter because we were being bombed by the Royal Air Force during the night, the American Air Force during the day, and of course uh, it was going to be uh, likely that 
as the fighting advances that Budapest will be surrounded and will be subject to a, a, a lengthy siege. But there was no, no room in the air raid shelter and my parents, to my intense um, uh, disappointment, said we are just as safe further up. Uh, we were on the second floor in an empty flat. Again, there was no uh, water or electricity or gas. And later on, there was no glass in the window either. And when once the uh, Budapest was surrounded, then the food supplies uh, fell um, drastically. And we were uh, approaching starvation. In the same street lived uh, uh, two famous writers, Imre Kertész, who later won the Nobel Prize for Literature for a, uh, a work concerning the Holocaust, uh, and another writer, and also George Soros lived in the same, same uh, street. But, and very quickly, the Hungarian Nazis, the so-called Arrow Cross, realized that these Swedish or Swiss houses, there was nothing actually to defend them. So they started uh, emptying these houses and taking the inhabitants down to the Danube and uh, using machine guns to uh, kill them, in, in, into, uh, shoot them into the river. And we lost, uh, from our wider family, two grandfathers. But death was also quite random. Uh, that boy in, in the back row is a, was a good friend of mine. And uh, his name was Ivan Borish. And he was in a similar house. And he opened the door and he went out uh, just a few steps. And some Hungarian Nazis grabbed him and told him to drop his trousers. And when they saw that he was circumcised, they shot him. And they went away they said it rather good fun to be able to kill Jews. Eventually, Budapest was surra uh, surrounded. And uh, the Russians were doing house-to-house uh, -house fighting. In some cases, which happened in our case, there were uh, Germans and Hungarians near the top and uh, Russians coming through the cellars. I think this picture is actually a, a reconstruction because there's no snow on the ground. And uh, the, uh, the Germans blew up all the bridges of, uh, between Buddha on that side and Pest on this side. And this, is, this bridge was 
uh, blown up prematurely and that's why it's got uh, the crown and the vehicles on it. So the, uh, there was heavy fighting. There were shells and aerial uh, mines and uh, um, big shells and little shells. And of course, as the fighting got nearer, there were machine guns and rifle fire. And we were, um, we were cowering in, a, in the bathroom because it didn't have a window and it could be safe, uh, safer than others. Uh, on Christmas Eve, um, a mortar bomb killed a horse in front of the, of the house and the horse was swiftly dismembered and I got a Christmas present of a piece of horse. Finally, on the 13th of uh, Feb uh, January 1945, uh, a rather frightened young uh, Russian soldier appeared at the gate, gate of our house and uh, asked questions about who who we were, and my father, who could speak Russian, explained that uh, we were, in fact, the victims of, of the Germans as well. So technically, that was the moment of liberation, but the fighting uh, went on because Budapest was totally surrendered. And even to the very last day or two, people were still being deported. When the railways were running, they were being deported by train. But when the railway lines were cut, people were sent to foot, on foot towards Austria in temperatures uh, down to minus 20. And about 50,000 uh, people, including children, died on that journey. And this is uh, a monument put up about five or six years ago called the Bronze Shoes, which commemorates the thousands of people who died by being shot into the Danube. When the fighting ceased, uh, of course, the place was in ruins. Uh, there were no services of any sort. And um, we... Uh, emerged from the building and went to look for a family in, in, in Budapest. And as we went, um, um, as, as we went, uh, there were hundreds of people hanging from lampposts where people uh, took revenge on each other. And some, uh, about the 17th of January, Raoul Wallenberg travels to the Soviet headquarters to try and persuade them to sell, send food to the starving people, not just Jews, but the starving people of Budapest. On arrival, he is arrested. And he's arrested either because he was uh, seen talking to German officers and so on, or because he was a Westerner. But whatever the reason, he disappears into the vast uh, Soviet prison system and uh, is not heard of again 
evidence since the change of regime uh, indicates that he was shot on Stalin's orders in 1947. But he is uh, regarded as a great hero. In London, there is a, st a statue to him, uh, just north of uh, Marble Arch. And he is recognized as a right righteous Gentile. And we emerged into a, a town that was burning and wrecked, uh, but we didn't realize the tragedy that was behind it all. We didn't realize until the camps, concentration camps and the extermination camps uh, were emptied and the victims returned, including my uh, cousin who survived uh, not only Auschwitz but uh, Ravensbrück uh, and, and others. And uh, this is the, uh, a partial table of the number of uh, Jews who were victims of the Holocaust. Of course, Poland was occupied the longest and had the largest Jewish population, so nearly three million 91%, and Hungary lost two-thirds of its Jewish population. For example, my, uh, where my cousin and uncle lived had a Jewish population of 1,160, and 220 came back. But this is, it's only a partial table, and does not include the 350,000 gypsies or Roma. It doesn't include the mentally and physically handicapped people who were systematically murdered. It doesn't include the political opponents of the Nazis. And, uh, uh, and uh, the, the me, uh, me, mentally uh, handicapped people and so on. So the total number is much uh, higher. And now just a, a few words about what, why I'm doing this. Well, every time I, I tell uh, the story, which I do about 12 times, uh, 12, 15 times a year, I remember my cousin, who was in Auschwitz, the two aunts who were murdered, not because they did anything, but simply because they were Jewish. And I, I remember another cousin and the two grandfathers from the wider family and all the neighbors and friends who were systematically murdered. And this, systematic genocide was carried out because one country was persuaded that their happiness depends on the 
extermination of, a, of an entire people. And this was a country with the highest standards of education, the country of uh, Beethoven and, uh, and, and Schubert and Max Planck and Goethe and Schiller. And yet they believed that this was a mission in life to exterminate an entire people. Now, of course, since we had uh, the Second World War, as, as Ella said, we had the genocides of Rwanda and Cambodia and Bosnia, and probably we have a genocide going on in, in Myanmar. And some survivors who speak believe that a repeat of the genocide is, is, is uh, probable. They even use the word probable. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, wouldn't agree with that. But uh, certainly uh, anti-Semitism is on the rise, racial discrimination is much higher, and I try and encourage the young people, particularly, not to, uh, to realize the dangers of discrimination and persecution, and not to ignore it. And you may not believe this, because June and I have lived in the same house for 60 years, and we have never seen anything anti-Semitic till last year. And not a, not a hundred meters from here, there were anti-Semitic slogans saying six million lies. In addition, the revision of history is, is common. Austria, Poland, and Hungary have all revised their history so that they say uh, Austria, Austria and Hungary have to say we were victims, not perpetrators, which is, which is a denial of history. So I, I, I tell the young people not to be indifferent and, and not only increase of tolerance, but tolerance is not enough. Tolerance is get, uh, recognizing somebody. I like to use the word respect for the other person. And we must, I, I feel that we can make, uh, get a, a, a positive movement to push back this uh, um, awful tendency. Thank you very much. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives, all rights reserved. It is available for reuse under the terms of the Open Government Licence.